A very good day to you all. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. And today is August the 3rd, 2021. Alex, how is it already August, man? I have no idea. And I don't know your name. What's your name? Oh, my name is Frank Huerta. And it's uh, nice to see uh, you all. Yes. His name is Alex Kenzie. (laughs) I cannot believe it's August, though, dude. This is insane. This year is going wild, man. It's screaming. Yeah. I got a busy, I got a busy August. I feel like it's just going to fly by. You're on the road a bunch again? Yeah, I got some trips planned. We're going to Colorado for mm-hmm. uh, Colorado Springs. I have a, a work trip that coincides with my girlfriend's birthday, which nice. also coincides with her having a week off. So she's going to come with me to Colorado Springs. And then we're going to get back home. We leave Sunday, next Sunday, get back Wednesday night. And then Friday morning, we leave for Vegas. Just for pleasure? Yeah, that one's strictly for pleasure. Just you two or going with the group? Uh, No, I'm going with Brian Duncan and Hannah Duncan. Oh, nice. Yeah, super stoked. Yeah, that'll be awesome, dude. Be careful, Uh though. Our mutual friend, Mr. Razor, just got the the Rona there. Well, you know, at first I was concerned. Mm. And then I remembered that... In addition to him being a big bitch, he's also got <laughs> a tremendously weak immune system, and he got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Uh, so it's kind of like a perfect storm there. Yes, we do like to refer to him as Mr. Glass from time to time. <laughs> he doesn't like it that much. but uh, Well, if you don't <laughs> like your reality, then it's only up to you to change it. Right. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, so that is August will fly by, I guarantee. I signed a lease uh, yesterday, so I'm getting oh, a new place. Whereabouts? Uh, it's in the Sherman Heights district of San Diego, California. About okay. a 15-minute walk east of Petco Park. Ooh. Um, yeah, I'm stoked on it, man. Will you be living solo? Oh, yeah, or? single cottage. Get this, man. Check this out. Ooh. This is the sweetest deal ever. So I see this place. It's really nice. The pictures are bright. Everything's like beautiful white. Spanish style um, architecture and there's like a bunch of like Frida Kahlo paintings everywhere. It's decorated beautifully. And come to find out this guy is um, signing a lease for this place and it used to be an Airbnb. Mm. So I scheduled an appointment to go look at it and I, and I asked him, I go, Hey, so you're you're getting out of the rental business, the, the Airbnb business. And he goes, well, there's an ordinance that was passed in San Diego and it states that only 1% of homes can be short-term rentals. Mm. And the way they determine who gets to do it is a lottery system. So he just said, fuck it, I'm going to bite the bullet and I'm going to start renting these out right now because I'm not going to wait until I'm told that I can't Airbnb these and then be scrambling to find renters. So, so do you think... Is that in place, like, because hotels are like, fuck this, we're not getting any money, or what? I'm sure hotels have something to do with it. I think, moreover, it's resident-driven. Hmm. You know? I could see that, People not wanting random people every weekend in their neighborhood. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, on one hand, I get that makes sense to me, but on the other hand, it's your property. Mm Mm-hmm. You bought it. Do whatever you want with it. Who cares? Um... But anyways, wow. they passed this ordinance, and so um, he's like, yeah, man, I'm, I, I have to rent these things out. He had three properties total in this little area. 
Uh, it's a pretty small, it's like 550 square feet. It's not giant. Um, but he goes, Hey, look, I bought everything in this place for Airbnb, right? It needs, it all conforms to the size of the place. It all fits here. I have no use for it anywhere else. He goes, I'll sell you the furniture for $800, everything. (laughs) And I was like, what? Okay. Yes. I'll give you six. Yeah. Let me <laughs> think about it. it. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, I already liked it before that. And then he was just like, yeah, cause all the furniture I have is big mm-hmm. and wouldn't have really fit in there. So it's going to be great, man. I'm going to get all my shit out of storage and I'm going to sell it all. Nice. You probably gonna, make a good chunk of that back then. I'm going to make a good chunk of that back and I'm not going to have anything. All I'm going to keep mm-hmm. is like my pots and pans and dishes and cups. Right. And co- cooking utensils. That's all I need, man. So then like, what is this, month to month? Is it a year lease? It's a year lease. Okay. But between you, me, and everybody on the internet, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I mean, shit. And then when you, I mean, eventually when the day comes, you move out of there, you probably could do a similar arrangement with the next person too. Well, the goal here is um, to buy oh. next year. I wanted it to be closer to like the spring, but if it's the fall next year, then I'm with it. But that's the goal. Now, buy this property and like a conjoining house or like no, 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 no. Just I'm not this one. Buy this property. No, I'll, I'll buy something probably outside of the city limits, most likely. Gotcha. Okay. I can't afford San Diego. Can't be cheap. And you know what's crazy? I can afford like literally any other city outside of San Diego. Yeah. Say for like New York and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I've been priced out of my hometown and I'm doing okay. It's a very frustrating uh, uh, reality to be quite honest with you. Yeah. But uh, here we are. Did you hear what happened in New York today? I didn't, but I'm heading there next Wednesday. So hit me. Are you really? Yeah. Go on the family city? vacation. Yeah. The, the city, the big, oh, uh, shit. the biggest of apples. Nice. Yeah. That's what's up. The attorney general in New York just came out with like a 150 page report saying that Andrew Cuomo in fact did assault multiple women sexually. Oh, you don't say. Yeah. So it was funny cause he got brought up the other day and I was talking to somebody and I'm like, you know what? I know this guy's a dirt bag. He's a dirt bag <laughs> for what he did with COVID. I mean, I like just yeah. his just pure arrogance and virtue signaling and just, just disgusting disgusting behavior um i already didn't like him and then he got he got through with all these sexual assaults uh accusations and whatnot and i i didn't know where any of that was going i didn't know there was an investigation i didn't know what was happening but i was kind of you know uh uh commending him a little bit because he was like the only one to like not cave he didn't send out any apologies that admitted fault he didn't say he did any of it he had his brother covering up for him in cnn and he took those allegations head on and he didn't quit he didn't resign and he weathered the storm um so in a way i was like "Eh, you know what good for you man like nobody really had the balls to do that and he did it and i thought he was in the clear i didn't know that this was all going on not that i'm congratulating him for getting away with anything and it looks like he's not going to get away with anything this attorney general you shout her out for her good work her name is letitia i'm pretty sure that's how you say that l-e-t-i 
T-I-A. Can't be Letitia. 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 Thank you. She's the, yeah, we've talked about her before with some stuff. Letitia James? We have, yeah. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, she said she uncovered conduct that was deeply disturbing uh, after talking to over 179 people during a five-month-long investigation in which she alleges a sweeping pattern of harassment by Mr. Cuomo and a hostile work culture rife with fear and intimidation and accompanied by a consistent overlooking of inappropriate flirtations and other sexually suggestive and gender-based comments by the governor. I, don't, I haven't read anything, any details on it. Um, and he has, in fact, denied all of the allegations. Of course. Yeah, of course. He, yeah, he does. He just has that air of a dirtbag about him, though, for sure. Um, she yeah. must be busy, man, Letitia, because she, we, talk, we spoke about her back in like May. Um, she was the one who was uh, going after the NRA and trying to take them down. Oh, no way. Yeah, up in New York. And then she was also the lady that was going after... Um, Remember when we talked a bunch about like net neutrality mm-hmm. and these these companies that were trying to like make tons and tons of money off people and like sell the internet? She's also going against these big tech companies doing the exact same thing. Interesting. Um, she, and then that's when they had found that uh, 18 million out of 22 million or something like that of the comments that were like pro net neutrality were fake and all this other stuff. So mm. she's a busy lady apparently. Yeah. Well, when you're the top cop in New York, you know. Yeah. I'm sure. You, I'm sure you got a lot to do. Oh yeah, seems like a fun job. Man, I guess. You know what else seems like a fun job, Al? Mm, baseball player. That does. You know what else seems like a fun job? Yeah, a baseball. A baseball itself. <laughs> that would be a fun ass job. But a baseball. Imagine being a baseball, being smacked 430 yards. Feet. True. And then you just sit on a shelf, though. And then you just then you're a watcher. Yeah, you've done your job. <laughs> now you get true. to retire. <laughs> That's true. That'd be a good job. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, lawmakers don't have a fun job right now. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but uh, sometime this past year, the uh, Supreme Court ruled it unlawful for the CDC to continue their extensions on uh, eviction moratoriums, Mm. right? During COVID, they put in place these eviction moratoriums that uh, made it illegal to evict tenants for not paying their rent, right? Because of COVID, and fair enough. On the heels of this federal moratorium ending on evictions, uh, the American landscape, excuse me, the American real estate landscape is undergoing a massive overhaul of wealth, the likes of which we have not seen in our nation's history. Uh, Americans have had the right to own and dispose of property for basically as long as we've been a country, right? Uh, Historically, the Fifth Amendment has protected those rights by stipulating that uh, only under very certain circumstances can the government take over your property. It's usually through condemnation, right? Like you had a bunch of asbestos, so the government's going to come in, they're going to condemn your property and you can't live there anymore. Or regulatory takings, right? Think of uh, back in the 50s, a new freeway being built right through your home, right? They, the eminent domain, they took it. But what of large money managers who buy up whole neighborhoods and only allow renters to occupy them? Well, that's been what has been happening uh, in American neighborhoods for the past 12 years. Years and 
this eviction moratorium highlights the incredible disparity between basically the the wealth between the poorest and the richest among us and the richest among us include a company called blackrock blackrock investments um and and they're buying just about every single family home they can find they're paying anywhere from 20 to 50 percent above asking price and outbidding normal home buyers and you might ask why are are corporations like BlackRock or pension funds or property investment groups buying up entire neighborhoods out from under the middle class. And um, we're going to look into that right now. So what we're seeing is that homes are popping up for sale. And then within hours, they're under contract, meaning they are in the process of being purchased. Um, BlackRock is among one of many groups that are buying up thousands of new homes uh, and and even entire neighborhoods, right? Um, It's not just BlackRock. Uh, In 2017, there's a Wall Street Journal article out uh, about a community in Spring Hill, Tennessee, which is a suburb of Nashville. Um, There was a a single family who wanted to buy a two-bedroom, two-bath house, excuse me, three-bedroom, two-bath house, uh, and when that home came on the market for $208,000, this couple decided to put in a bid for it. This company called American Homes for Rent offered the same amount as this couple, but they did it in all cash. With no inspection required at all. 12 hours later, the house was signed under contract, and a month later, it was on the market for rent. In all of this community, Spring Hill, Tennessee, there are four companies, American Homes, Colony Starwood Homes, Progress Residential, and Street Lane Homes that own nearly 700 houses. And that amounts about 5% of the homes in the town and roughly three quarters of all of those available for rent. And getting closer to present day in 2020, um, there was a company called DR Horton and they're a home builder. And they built 124 houses in a city called Conroe, Texas. And then they put the entire community on the block for sale instead of just selling one at a time. And there was a winning bid that came from a company called Fundrise LLC for $32 million, which was roughly a 50% gross margin for this company, DR Horton, right? So they found that if they built these communities and then sold them as one, they were going to stand to make 50% more margin. And it gets deeper. Back in October of 2020, a company by the name of Invitation Homes, they're the country's single largest rental home owner, disclosed a joint venture with a uh, Boston property investor group called Rock Point Group LLC, and that would result in more than a billion dollars for their ongoing house hunt. Um, This company, Invitation, owns 80,000 houses and has been buying up houses uh, at roughly $200 million per quarter, uh, it sold $448 million of shares so that it could raise money to fuel its expansion of buying homes f- for rent. Um, and they have enough cash to purchase about $3,500 of homes. And it doesn't stop there because it's now global. Um, there's a company in London called Lloyd's Bank. If you live in the UK, I guarantee you're familiar with them. 
They have an initiative known as Project Generation, and it'll involve buying and renting out new and existing housing stock across the UK. Lloyd's is the largest mortgage lender and commercial banking business uh, and has existing relationships with almost all of the UK's largest house builders. So these investment companies have relationships with the builders themselves. So they're the ones funding these projects and then they're buying them and then they're renting out these homes. Now, why does this matter? What is the underlying uh, issue here? Well, the issue is wealth redistribution and mass, right? It's, we're not taking rich people's wealth and then redistributing it to the poor. We're taking money out of the American middle class. Just you, me, and everybody else that looks like us. Salt of the earth Americans who want to do nothing but raise a family and live a normal, good life and have some fun in the process. They're taking the money out of our hands and putting it in to the most powerful companies that exist, right? These money managers like BlackRock manage a trillion dollars um, or more than a trillion dollars worth of wealth. And for people like you and me and, and folks listening, home equity is, or at least used to be, the, the main financial element that we use to build wealth, right? Sure. BlackRock, the company that we started this segment talking about, is funded by the Federal Reserve. They take money from the Federal Reserve. That is our money, tax money. So the government is subsidizing this company to then buy our wealth. Um, and the question is, in 30 years, where does that position the average American? Because we know it, what history tells us is that this, this sort of system has a name. It's called feudalism. And it existed back in uh, medieval Europe. And essentially, it, in broad, broad definition, it's a way of it's a way of very few people controlling property, and then holding that land and using it in exchange for service or labor. Right? Previously, we didn't have the, investors didn't really have the ability or the want to buy up a ton of individual homes. It was all if you were investing in real estate, more than likely you were investing in commercial real estate, shopping malls or uh, apartment buildings or um, office buildings or something like that. But during the recession of 2008, 2009, when these homes were drastically undervalued, these companies started flooding in, buying up these homes, and they have not stopped. Again, this is or at least used to be the first and most vital step into our wealth, our generational wealth, right? You buy a home, your children, as long as you still have that home, now have a home. And when you pass, they have that home, right? You have created general, generational wealth. You might be saying, well, they only buy... 100,000 homes a year out of the 5 million that are being sold elsewhere. But the problem here is that they're not buying them and then selling them. They're buying them and renting them. So now our biggest landlords are becoming big Wall Street companies. There's a lot of people saying that this is the quote-unquote great reset, um, the greatest transfer of wealth 
the greatest consolidation of power, um, however you want to frame it, um, the fear is that it's happening and that it's not going to stop. And companies like BlackRock, like um, uh, American Homes for Rent, like uh, Fundrise LLC, any of these companies that, that we've just named um, are going to control a ton more wealth for generations to come. And as this is happening, we are cutting ties with the lifelines that are keeping our most vulnerable population in a home as we end this uh, eviction moratorium. So it's a very bleak picture that's being painted about the current rental situation and the future wealth ownership situation of regular salt of the earth Americans. I'll, I'll frame my response to, to hearing this for the first time with that. I don't see a better system, but I think this is a direct result of capitalism, like over, over a bunch of uh, a long period of time. Like we're starting to see the effects. I think that is why you're seeing the middle class go away. Why we're talking about feudalism is because certain people, certain companies other than BlackRock, this sounds like they're state funded, federally funded, I guess. Um, but I mean, if you look up the definition of capitalism, just like in the Oxford dictionary, it is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. And, and essentially like that's, what's happening here. Like these big businesses that have rose to the top because of capitalism, because of a free enterprise system are now taking that wealth and finding new ways to make more money with it instead of you know any kind of redistribution or anything like that and, and now they're they're robbing the middle class and, and americans all over of like you're saying the best way to set up your generational wealth um and, and i'm not trying to shit on capitalism by saying that I, like i said i don't think there's a better system but i think this is a direct like this is a there's a direct correlation between what's going on and, and the result of of what capitalism really is yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't argue with that. Um, you know, the banks in 2020 were losing money because anytime you lower interest rates, you will decrease revenue for a bank, right? And so now sure. th- these banks have to become mighty clever with how they go about raising that revenue and um, they'll get into bed with these companies who are willing to take on way more I won't say risk but but way more of the of, of, of an asset and get more in return than just you or me going to a bank asking for a mortgage. Um, and you know, I, I said it time and again that this raw form of capitalism, this unfettered, unchecked aspect of capitalism cannot exist in America. This is crony capitalism. This mm-hmm. is like you said, 
the theft of generational wealth of Americans that's gone unchecked by the people who are supposed to be protecting our freedoms because they are cronies for these companies that have um, more power than any politician will because they have more money, right? What is it, who is it that decides almost every major political move from the federal level? It's Wall Street. Yeah. They have the say. They are not going to expect any retaliation for this because they're the ones that put the people who are supposed to be retaliating it there in the first place. And so what you get is this form of crony capitalism. And what frustrates me is that we're unable to see a difference between capitalism that has a moral backing versus a raw, very um, unadulterated view of just profit, right? Um, there's no, I feel like there's no middle ground when we talk about it. When, when we hear about these stories, all we can think of is like, oh, well, you know, this is just a bunch of crooks who are using the current uh, economic system in the United States to benefit themselves, which is true. And there needs to be pushback. But like you said, I don't think that it has to, or a matter of fact, it cannot include the wholesale uh, destruction of the capitalist economic society that we've built because we don't exist without that. And there's, moreover, there is a way forward that in, includes a moralistic view on how to make profit and not destroy generational wealth in the process. And we need to call that out. How, how do you do that though? Like when the system itself is set up for profit and has nothing to do with morals, like morality doesn't play into profit making, you know what I mean? Like that's, those don't go hand in hand. If, if, I mean, as I see it, I, I, that's not true. No. Um, how so? Well, okay. So if you want to look at it from a moralistic point of view, then what you have to do is you have to take some sort of measures, right? Like I don't appreciate the libertarian hardcore view of no regulations, let the market work itself out, which is true, right? Like the market will work itself out. If this trend continues, the only way out is revolution, right? That I couldn't think of anything else, yeah. but if we can sit here and we can recognize that wall street is becoming the biggest landlord in the country. Well, then we have a system set up that allows for politicians to make laws, to limit the ability of wall street or anybody else to scoop up private property at the rate that they're doing, knowing that they have the advantage of billions, if not trillions of dollars of wealth management behind them. You know, we've talked about it before the ability to, create wealth by not creating anything is just empty and hollow and nonsensical and doesn't do anybody any benefits, right? And that is where we see a lot of the wealth being created in the United States 
we're not making anything. We're not contributing anything. All we're doing is we're taking this, we're putting it here, we're watching it rise, we're selling it, and then we're putting it there, and we're doing wash, wash, repeat, right? Um, and when you have that as your main economic driver, then the only thing that you can do is continue to allow avenues for that to flourish. Because if you don't, then your economic status will then plummet. And so we're not creating anything of tangible value. We're just creating wealth for very few people. And I know that it's like, well, how can you have that in one breath? How can you say that, have this conversation and then say, oh, capitalism's the best? Well, because it does need to be checked. And there does need to be a moral undertaking for this sort of action. But when you're talking about that, you then steer into culture because this is because culture is, is the main driver of what allows for this to happen. So you're saying capitalism but like it's almost if you bring if you bring morality into it, it's it's almost like your fringe socialism or drawing from socialism in a way into capitalism. Because like I don't think you can look like when you when you look at profit, people don't give a fuck about morals. Like you can say like we should and, and like it'd be good. But like at the end of the day, these big businesses don't give a fuck about that. You know, Donald Trump's family's kick like his dad was kicking out section eight housing so they could put up skyscrapers because it made profit they don't give a fuck about morality but they give they want money like and and, and that's just an example that popped in my head that's not like a a trump bashing thing but right i i I don't think that you can if you bring morals into capitalism it starts to look more like socialism well maybe so it was it was uh, milton freeman economist milton freeman who said that the only social responsibility for a business was to maximize profits, right? That is why they're there. And that if you maximize profits, then you're doing your job and you could use those profits for charitable purposes or however. And in some ways that's true, right? Because if you don't make profit, then you're not considered an ongoing concern and then you fold and you're no longer a business. But when you're talking about, when you're talking about capitalism without straying into the, the tenets of socialism, because the tenets of socialism are far different from capitalism, putting constraints on making profit in a way that is wholly reasonable is legislating culture. Because what you're saying is that your social responsibility is yes, profit, but not profit at the expense of ABC, right? And unfortunately, it takes learning from example to to make that happen. But like what we're seeing right now, if we can determine reasonably that there is a phenomenon where in which Wall Street firms are scooping up large swaths of American neighborhoods, right? Whole American neighborhoods. And then not allowing anybody else to own them, but simply just making profit on rent. And we can draw a reasonable straight line conclusion from that to peasantry in 20 years, right? Because we're seeing it now. Drive in Los Angeles and tell me we are not experiencing peasantry. Then 
you have the moral obligation to say no. You're not trying to limit their ability to make a profit, right. but you're saying the way in which you're making your profit right now is detrimental to your society as a whole, and we're not going to stand for it. Capitalism doesn't mean like wholesale, you get to go and just make as much money as possible and fuck everybody else. As much as you see that happening, that isn't what it means. Okay, but legislatively then, Frank, like how do you how do you do that? Do you say like, okay, we're going to tax you, you know, at certain tiers based on how much money your like your company profits, how much they're making, and then we'll tax you and redistribute that wealth? Do you say like with real estate as an option, you can only buy X amount of homes per year to rent out? Like, how do you actually like legislate what you're proposing? Well, when I become a representative from California, <laughs> I'll, I'll share with you my plan. I, I do not have the answers for it. There's plenty of plans that you could come up with that would allow for this to be mitigated, right? One of the plans, which is actually, a, you know, I guess you could say is borderlining uh, on, on socialism, but if we have the ability to do it, then I, I'm, I'm willing to listen. But it's government-funded housing, that is not rented but sold at a lower cost to an individual and allows them to pay the money and develop equity, retain the equity that they have developed from the house, and then sell it at a set price to somebody else. Right. Mm. Something like that. I know it's a very basic example that there's a ton that you could pick apart about it. Something like that to, to combat what's going on here would help. And yeah, setting limits on the amount of property, the percentage of a property in a neighborhood, for example, if you wanted to get very specific of it, the percentage of property in a neighborhood that one uh, firm can purchase or m- moreover, the percentage of property in a community that isn't owned by one or two people, right? Sure. Legislating specifically to the, to the, to the person, right? Because if that seems too extreme for you and you're not talking about what's going on now and you're not raising the issue about what's going on now, well then, yeah, I think we should lose our privilege to uh, invest in that many properties in a single community. I, I do, because if we're not going to combat it with loosening regulations for building homes and we're not going to combat it by making sure that we are um, allowing for this vehicle of generational wealth to continue for everybody, then yeah, like we should certainly lose our privileges there. And, you know, I, I, I have no issue with morality being introduced with a free market capitalist society. If you can reasonably draw, draw out a scenario like this and then come to the conclusion that it is for the detriment of everybody but a single few, then yeah, you have a moral obligation to combat that as hard as you can. The problem is, is the people who are, who are we put in place, quote unquote, we put in place to combat that are more or less driven by the money that is also buying up these neighborhoods. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm all about it. You got my vote. I'm just, I don't know how you practically. Conscious I, capitalism. Yeah. I, yeah. I just don't know how you legislate conscious capitalism. If I, you're, I, I want if, you, you don't, you don't. I, who was it that just said it a while ago? I put it up on Instagram. It was Russell Brand. He said that we don't need any more 
revolutions. We don't need any more new institutions. The things that we have in place work. It's just that we need people to actually believe in them and operate within the bounds that they were set. Sure. His main quote was that we don't need more people to believe in God. We just need the people who do to act like it. You could apply that to any, <laughs> to any, any issue that we're talking about, right? Like we don't need a different economic system. We need the people who are in charge of our economic system to act like they believe in it. And if what the wall street journal is printing here is true, they're not. It's pretty wild. That's a good story, man. <sighs> scary. Yeah. It's scary. It is. It is. It's good. And but it's scary. It, uh, inevitably will be ongoing there there will be more stories written no doubt of course um i came across a couple stories this week a uh, couple court cases court decisions um that i thought were pretty interesting i want to bring them up to you there was a philadelphia man six-year-old curtis crossland who uh was just released from prison and who was wrongly convicted of murder about 30 more than 30 years ago his conviction was based on testimony from two witnesses who later recanted their own statements uh, that they had made that directly implicated him. So his exoneration, it came after uh, months of work by the Philadelphia Conviction Integrity Unit, which was established in 2018. And the unit was set to investigate claims of innocence and wrongful conviction in, in a bunch of court cases, like just throughout the state's history, just like look into all these inmates who, you know, filed different claims like hey i was wrongfully convicted or hey that yada yada this is they're just looking into a bunch of complaints basically and so far uh, mr crossland is the 22nd exoner total exoneration um that they have uh won i guess you would say uh since 2018 um crossland was found guilty in 1991 of second degree murder robbery and possessing an instrument of crime um in a killing that happened in 1984 of a Philadelphia store owner named Tony Hayo. Um, so the case, you know, is, was pretty much unsolved for quite a while. And um, through testimony of these two people, basically, like, they linked it to him very loosely. Some some are saying that race played a factor into it uh, with the prosecutor. But um, the thing that's crazy is that the evidence... Um, that basically got him exonerated was within like the Philadelphia police department for 30 years. They had the evidence, uh, through testimonies of these two people that basically said like, yeah, my, my statement was not true. That was, that was, that was wrong. And, um, they, they had this evidence just sitting there and this dude was just sitting in jail, you know, losing his life. He was about to go to college when this happened. Um, you know, and, and being funded up by state tax dollars while he sat there and, you know, was fed and lived his life there. So it, it's just kind of crazy. Um, said that the documents that could have helped acquit or exonerate him were in files at the Philadelphia Police Department and the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office from the be very beginning of this case. Mm. Uh, the documents contain troubling information regarding the credibility of two key witnesses, as well as police records, which pointed to an another suspect entirely uh that information was suppressed and there was no other evidence that connected crossland to the crime uh so says the ciu um Jeez. he yeah so like this guy i mean lost his his life you know i mean i'm sure they're definitely that sounds like the 
biggest lawsuit <laughs> coming uh, to the Philadelphia Criminal Justice Department. Um, but he has now returned home to his five children, fiance, and 32 grandchildren. And uh, his comments that he made were, I feel exceedingly joyful, happy that finally, you know, after more than 30 years, after constantly knocking on the door for somebody to please hear me, that the day has finally come. It's a great feeling to still be dad, to be wanted and desired and open arms to receive you. That's been the greatest part of being exonerated, that I come home to a loving family that wants and needs me. Um, and, and when I read that, like, that's awesome. That, that warms your heart. But like, think about that. Like you think, I don't know what you think. Maybe, maybe you're, you're listening to him all along and he's saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But in the back of your head, you're probably like, like, well, he's in prison for 30 years. Like he probably killed someone. And like, how do you like shift your perspective that quickly? Like, I, I know you, you'd want to believe him. And in hindsight, like you believe him, but when you're in I, I just, it's got to be some really interesting relationships in his life. Um, and it sounds like, you know, that was out of his control and that he kind of just got Philadelphia justice system kind of ruined this guy's life and his relationships with so many people. And it, it's, it's yeah. not like they go out of their way to do this and, you know, let's tear down the Philly justice system. But it just, it just makes it, it's just, you hear stories like this and it just kind of tugs at your heartstrings, man. Like these people, literally lost 30 some years man yeah i mean and just the the evidence used in the case was just eyewitness testimony not even eyewitness testimony right. it was one person saying that she overheard a conversation about murder and then another dude who was in jail at the time saying that this guy confessed to him and that's it yeah and then there's evidence of them recanting those statements yeah. that sat in you know the da office and the police department for 30 years so it's just how does that happen when he got arrested he said that he he told his wife and son that I'll be back because I didn't do anything. And then I never came back. I never knew what I did until they told me that I was accused of murder. It was like a kidnap. So it sounds like somebody needed this case to be solved. And yeah, this was seven years later. Yeah. They did it. <laughs> they did it. They, they, they freaking convicted this guy. Jeez. And Pete's man. Pretty wild. It is pretty wild. Curtis Crossland is free and home with his family now. So, well, good. Um, good for him. I hope yes. he gets many, many millions of dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know how you put a dollar amount on that, like per year or what the hell that looks like. But uh, another story that uh, I saw that was just kind of wild, man, um, was that a Texas woman named Terry Dolores McCurchy. Terry? <laughs> Terry has been arrested and charged with murdering a Florida man. Who died in 2019. Wait, say that again. A Texas woman named Terry McCurchy, 59, has been arrested and charged with murdering a Florida man who died in 2019. On the surface, that sounds like a pretty normal headline that you'd read. You know, like that, that sounds like something you'd hear in Texas or Florida. The thing is, is that the man died in 2019, but she's being charged for murdering this man for her actions in 1984. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of a weird one. Um, slow burn. It's very slow burn. She's accused of killing 35-year-old Benjamin Dowling, uh, who she allegedly violently shook as a baby and caused permanent disability with a traumatic brain injury, um, otherwise known as shaken infant syndrome. Um, earlier this month, she was indicted on first-degree murder charge in Broward County, where the crime took place over 30 years ago. 
Uh, McCurchy, then who was 22, claimed that Benjamin fell off the couch and injured herself or himself. Uh, despite her denials, McCurchy pleaded no contest in June 1985 to attempted murder and aggravated battery of a child. Uh, Florida court records indicate she received an extremely light sentence for this. Uh, she was made to spend weekends in jail for three months until her third child was born, according to the Associated Press. Uh, she then served three years probation. So, pretty light sentence, yes. Weekends in jail. So, she had to, like, check into jail and then check out of jail. I guess, yeah. I, I've never heard of that, but I guess Florida fucking gets down. Um <laughs> <laughs> the passage of time between the injuries sustained and the death of the victim were considered by forensic and experts who conducted the autopsy and ruled that his death uh, in 2019 was directly caused by the injuries from this 1984 accident. Interesting. Um, this case was presented to the grand jury, which determined that this was a homicide um, because she was previously convicted of attempted murder and not full on first degree murder. Uh, McCurchy's constitutional protections against being tried twice for the same crime do not apply. I, that was, so that was my question. If she's already served jail time, yeah, it's a different crime. So, but, but so so they're convicting her of murder now, not yeah. The gr the grand jury, based on evidence that they found in the autopsy from forensic experts, basically are saying that it was a direct, it was the direct cause for his death, uh, even though he lives, you know, to you know 34 years after the fact they're, they're saying that this is why and, and family released a statement saying benjamin never crawled fully rolled over walked never talked never fed himself he never enjoyed a hamburger or an ice cream cone he could never tell us when he had an itch or anything hurt when he cried in pain we as a family and caregivers had to guess as to what was wrong and hope that we could satisfy his need so it, it sounds uh, like this dude was fully disabled his entire yeah. life. Um, and then, yeah, he died from complications last or two years ago. So, I mean, <laughs> it sounds like justice is being served here. She, she was just, uh, you know, the, the court case, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but she's convicted and it's not looking good. I, she'd have to have a hell of a lawyer, I think, to get out of this one. I'd say, man, but a weird uh, case, right? You don't normally hear about that. Like, 35 years later after already serving time yeah now you're serving time for the ultimate crime that you know you can commit damn near Inter it's interesting I, I i guess i'm never really against hearing about justice being served you know i mean do do what has to be done it's just it is a it's just weird that 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 far after the fact and for serving jail time for for kind of the same crime I mean I guess it's technically not the same crime but just to go back to jail for it I don't know that seems weird to me too but you know he had a fucked up life and it was her fault so yeah sorry so well, good suck. luck don't shake babies don't do not shake babies fuck no Jesus but yeah that was uh, that was two stories I saw that I thought were uh, pretty interesting um in our justice system. Yeah, I wish I had something to uh, lighten our spirits here. It's been a lot of... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're fucked. Oh, as we're talking, um, the uh, Biden administration will issue a new uh, moratorium on evictions. Oh. So okay. that happened 20 minutes ago. So what, is, what does that mean? 
people are saying that they don't have the legal authority to do so because I don't know. The Supreme Court didn't allow it from the CDC, so maybe because the White House is trying to do it, it's a new case that they're going to have to take up. Maybe it's unlawful. I don't know. My question there, like I, I can see when COVID first happened, doing something like this three, four months until everyone can get, can get on unemployment. But like most of the people I know that went on unemployment were making more there than they did with their day jobs. So if they were affording rent before, how could they not afford rent now? And then you look at today's world, and people are giving iPads and $500 bonuses and shit just to interview. And, and so it's like, why are we extending rent leave? I think it's commentary on human behavior. When you give folks yeah. the things that they think they want the most, chances are they're not going to be responsible with it because they've done nothing to earn it. So why would you be responsible? Why would you think ahead into the future? Why would you do any of the responsible things that you're supposed to do when all when you've just been given money and you know that's just not going to run out for a very long time? I get the sentiment, um, but look, it, it needs to happen sooner or later. And you know, we can't just keep creating new safety nets for when we cut off safety nets. I mean, these entitlements are never supposed to be uh, permanent, you know? There's an old joke that if you want to, if you want to get something uh, done permanently, you introduce it as a temporary measure hmm. because it never is temporary. It's always permanent. And the people who are the loudest, God bless them, are, are, are bleeding heart liberals who say that we're going to be kicking people off on the street and this, that, and the other with no mention to the responsibility for their own lives. And that may sound harsh, but um, we've shelled out more money as a country over the past 18 months than we've ever had in one 18-month period. And um, unless we continue to do that, and that becomes our new normal. Um, something has to give, and you know we're gonna have to let people fail. Yeah, we'll see, man. I I don't know. It's scary times. Scary, scary, scary times. Do you think Donald Trump's gonna run for president in twenty twenty four? Yeah, it seems like he is. Yeah, I don't even. You think I it'll be Joe Biden, or they'll just go Mrs. Harris? He's not gonna run. No, there's no way. He's not gonna make it through next year. We got a bet riding on that too. We so. do have a bet riding on it. Should I announce it publicly so that it's out there in please, the ether? Please. I'll do it. If Joe Joseph R. Biden, former senator of Delaware, he once fought corn pop. If this man, you know the thing, if he is president on January 1st, 2023, I will tattoo a penis on my body shape and form t to be determined and you guys heard it here first i have a reminder set up on my phone that january 1st that morning to remind him right away if there's that's no the way. case yeah yeah that'd be, there's no we'll way see. there's no way he makes it past next year <laughs> i hope for the sake of the tattoo that he does but here's the thing here's the thing that's scaring me <laughs> is that kamala harris that just came out is underwater in her ratings mm. everyone hates her She's incredibly unlikable, um, not charismatic at all. Just when you think of Kamala, when I think, I just think of a cackler. I just think of a cackly laugh. Um, 
she was before she was vice president, and this is 100% verifiable, the most left-wing senator in, in the Senate, way more left-wing than Bernie Sanders, based off of everything that she voted on. Yeah. Um, so she's, in, she's incredibly left-wing. Um, she's not likable. And uh, because just, of all that, I just don't know if that's who the powers that that be are going to ride on. But maybe. Who knows? Um, yeah. She just seems incredibly, like, fake to me, man. And then, like, she's the you worst. were going... You were going at Biden all through the primaries, going at his throat about so many different things, and now you're like riding with him. It's like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what are you in it for? Exactly. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you know, you got to play the game, but sure. I, yeah, I right. just, uh, yeah, I don't know it, because of how unlikable she is. That may not bode well for your boy. I stand by my words, though. I, I do. I. I I think the I think the plan is still in place. Two years, and then he's out. Because here's the thing: he's not going to run in four years. There's no fucking way. Anybody yeah. that anybody that's thrown at him from a from a Republican side is going to be far more formidable. And to date, what is their what is their track record? I mean, not much, man. They haven't done a whole lot. I can't think right. of anything substantial that's happened. That um, infrastructure bill just got finalized and presented. It's all. 2600 pages of it um so we'll see whatever the hell happens there but yeah that's what i'd say is like what have you done and you have like full control like you're in the driver's seat right now to implement all your shit and like you're still like i i don't think his ratings are very good in general just with the popular like with the populace but like yeah like his policies and like none of that stuff's really carried out so that you put someone like trump again who like you know, we'll reference facts, some true, some probably not true, but like he'll, he'll get his people fired up and out, out to the polls next election. That's for sure. For sure, man. I mean, and then you got your press secretary up there talking about wanting to censor everybody off of social media. And it's like, well, all right, yeah. fine. But that's, that's only popular with a very few amount of people. So what's popular with a shit ton of people, I'd say the majority of people is drinking a good smooth cup of coffee. That is a treat all by itself. But when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it's that much better. Our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across this great country. From their medium blend, the Moab, to their double dark, the Battleship Roast, their medium roast, the Space Force, their CBD blend, the Medic, all of their coffees are smooth without the acid or bitterness you find in so many coffees. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get in whole bean, ground, or single-serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. Once again, that is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Boy, you said it, Al. Woo. And that's our show. Uh, if you'd like to talk with us, um, we'd like to hear from you. And you can reach us at Twitter, at FriendshipNH. You can reach us on Instagram, at FriendshipNewsHour. Uh, you can join our growing conglomerate on TikTok, at FriendshipNewsHour. And uh, you can send us an email at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That is bummerdude.media at gmail.com and we will see you next time. Bye.